church. Is, is this microphone working? Yeah? Okay. I'm used to this one, so this one's a little weird for me. But uh, hey, I'm really excited. You probably weren't expecting to see me up here again. And uh, that's a, it's, it's a really cool opportunity for me to be able to share with you today. My name's Jonah, if I haven't met you yet. And that is uh, probably at least a handful of folks in this room. And uh, I'm really excited to be able to kick off our brand new series, Sheep Music, today. And if you are a first-time guest or maybe you uh, just didn't see the slide up at the beginning of service, there's going to be some uh, specific content today that's really uh, might be more PG-13 kind of stuff. So we're asking if you have a child in here younger than sixth grade. Uh, Brandy is right in the back of the room. She'd love to help you get your kids checked into Fusion. Kids will be a much better experience for them over there today, and, uh, and you won't have to cover their ears for anything that happens, right? So if anyone in here has kids, that's just a disclaimer right up front. But again, we're going to be talking about sheet music. So um, hopefully the video there kind of cued you up that today we're going to now we're going to jam a little bit. Let's talk about sex, baby. All right? So as you can tell with the, with the lip sync thing, we like to have fun. So we're going to handle this and uh, try to be lighthearted and fun, but we want to talk about the truth of God too. The reason that we decided for me to share with, with us today is because I'm really passionate about this particular topic, at least for week one. Here we go. Amen. And this is going to go really well because you guys, uh, I like to think of, see, I'm a, I'm a worship leader. So when I speak, it's kind of like the same as leading worship. And leading worship, it's not like a me and you thing. We're all in this together. So uh, you guys talk back to me. I'm going to preach a lot better today if you do that. So, uh, so yeah, I like the topic, okay? So sue me. Because this uh, area in sexual intimacy, specifically in purity when it comes to dating and singles and what, what sex should look like for people who are not married, is a big part of my story. So I'd love to share my story with you guys. Some of you have heard bits and pieces of it from stage. Others that are in my connect group. I know our Fusion City students. What, what? Shout out. DJ got me. So. They've heard a lot of my story, and uh, so I really want to share that with you guys. So I grew up, believe it or not, on a, a dairy farm in a little community called Bethlehem, just by way of Judea, right? So, now, Bethlehem is a, it's a small community up on the, the north end of Hickory. So if you know where Hickory is, uh, man, that microphone ringing is throwing me off. Sorry. Hickory is, uh, there's a lake there. Right on the other side of the lake is Bethlehem. That's where I grew up. I'm from Bethlehem, North Carolina. If you're around Brian and Quentin, they'll try to convince you that I'm from Wilkesboro. That is, in fact, a lie. I am not uh, from the hills, even though I did grow up on a dairy farm. So growing up on a dairy farm, life was pretty cool. You know, we rode four-wheelers and uh, had all kinds of land to do, all kinds of crazy, good old country boy can survive type stuff. So that was my childhood growing up. I had two older brothers growing up. Their names are John and Jordan, and I'm Jonah. And then I had a cu cousins named Josh and Justin. So when my grandma got mad, it was like, J -j 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 you, 
get over here so I can whoop you. So I grew up with, with these, all these older cousins and brothers in my life. And really the idea that the things that I learned about sexuality came from uh, what my brothers passed down to me. That I don't ever recall my parents and I having like the talk, you know. I grew up in church, uh, went to a Methodist church called Mount Bethel United Methodist Church. From the moment that I can remember uh, as a young child, I went to that church. I grew up there. So I went to like the vacation Bible school stuff and made all the crafts and heard all the stories. And I could have told you a lot of the Bible stories, but uh, I, I never truly got, got like the whole Christianity thing because the environment I grew up in, it was just kind of a second nature thing. It's just like, oh, it's Sunday. We are supposed to go to church, right? So that the church and God never really impacted my life when it pertained to sex. That was always some older brothers. And I don't know how many of you have older brothers, but you can probably relate. They're not the greatest coaches in life, usually. Uh, they they, they kind of, yeah. <laughs> brothers can steer us wrong sometimes. So for, for me, that was, uh, it formed some really unhealthy stuff in the way that I viewed sex. See, my oldest brother, we were a big football family, so I grew up seeing my oldest brother playing under the lights, Alexander Central, uh, representing the Cougars, what, what? So those gold helmets, I can just remember seeing the gold helmets out there on the football field, the light shining down, and man, I idolized those guys out on the field. But what happened is we had a couple little spots out in the woods at, out in the dry cow pasture at my grandpa's. We called it the shack. But it eventually became known as the hell shack. That's what we called it because we went out there literally to raise hell. That's what it was about. So after these football games, like literally the majority of the football team would come over to my house with my brother. They'd go out to the hell shack. And if you went in the hell shack and you walked four floorboards in and pried the floorboard up, there was an assortment of alcoholic liquor under there. I don't know who got it and how they got it, but they got it, and it was there. So me, my, my oldest brother, six years older than me. So I was, when he was a senior, I'd have been the sixth grade. So that had been him sitting there the whole time. I'm just this little kid looking up to these guys, these guys that I idolized seeing their habits, seeing the way that they lived their life. So for me, that's what I thought was normal. So when my brother talked about sex and how he, uh, that was kind of a, a thing that he and all these football players talked about, to me, I just assumed, hey, this is just kind of a part of life. This is what I look up to. This is who I want to be. Nobody really in my church experience ever talk to me about sex. So again, it, it was kind of a funny joke, but I'm very passionate about this because I feel like had I been able to sit in the seats that you're in in my spiritual life and someone shared with me a lot of what I'm going to share with you today, that maybe I would have been able to go down a different path. So my path involved by the, by the eighth grade becoming... Um, sexually active in some way, shape, or form with, with girls until in the 10th grade, I gave my virginity away to a girl that I had been dating for about a year and a half. I thought she was the love of my life, had, uh, had every life plan built around her, 
thought that we would get married and build a house on the hill and that I was going to go to school for engineering. I like math. I like designing and graphics and stuff. So I was going to be an engineer. And the, the relationship that we had as we dated for about a year, really as a high school student, and many of you might be able to relate, it, it just engulfed me. And it became a, again, I, I gave my virginity to this girl as a 10th grader. And we were pretty sexually active as a young person. That's, that's how it was. Every Sunday going to church, though, I would go to church every Sunday. I would sit, and uh, I always wanted to know, like, how far is too far, right? I hang out with our students a lot. I, I talk to a lot of students, and typically students want to know. That's the question when you bring up sex. They say, how far is too far? So for me, again, this screwed up idea of sex that I had, was that as long as, I, as long as I did not go all the way, you know, as long as I didn't go past third base, me and God were okay. I don't know who told me that. Uh, maybe it was something I made up in my mind. But again, no one ever sat down and talked to me about the things of God as it relates to our sexual life. So let me do a quick poll real quick for us in the room. How many folks in here are married? Like you are married in here. Whoop, whoop. No one cheered. That's something you sh- That's something you might be excited about, or I guess not. So how many folks are not married? You are single. You might be engaged. You might be dating somebody. You might have been married at one point, but now you are single. Those folks are really excited. I, I want to give you a, just a, a quick piece of advice for all you single people. Today, we're going to be talking a lot about singleness and dating and what sex should look like and what it does look like in our culture for the life of a single person. So married people, I'm really glad that you're here because if you know someone who is single, this is a great thing for you to learn. Parents, maybe you are raising children who are single people. So this might be some good stuff for you. So I just encourage you to write a few things down. I'm not a genius or anything. But there's going to be some stuff that I think moving forward in your life could really help you out. So single people, students that are here, this today is just for you, really. The next three weeks of this series is going to talk much more specific to married people. But today is more about single folks and our students. So single people, I, let me give you a little piece of advice that I thought was some of the best advice I ever got being Single. I was actually in, uh, dating my wife now, Karis. I was dating her when I heard this advice. I thought it was really good. So to the single men in the room, you will probably get married one day. Statistics say that 90% of us will get married one day. So good chances if you're single, you will get married. So here's some advice for you single guys. When you date a girl and you propose... And that wedding day comes, and there you are, standing before her and God. Here's your advice. When that day comes, men, you need to stand exactly where she tells you to stand. You need to say exactly what she tells you to say. You need to wear what she tells you to wear. See, when I was in high school, I rocked the the white tuxedo to prom. But when I got married, I did not wear a white tuxedo because of this advice. You stand where she tells you to stand, wear 
what she tells you to wear. Say what she tells you to say. Because here's what you don't get. It's so funny. We were at the beach with my family this week, and my two little nieces, they were playing who the bride and the bridesmaid were. So these girls, these women, your wife one day, she's played dress up with her friends. She's talked to them about this day. She's read all the magazines in preparation for this wedding event. She's talked to her parents about it, and and she is excited out of her mind. She's dreamed of this day forever. So men, stand where she tells you to stand. Say what she tells you to say. Wear what she tells you to wear. And now some advice for the ladies. On the wedding night, You need to stand where he tells you to stand. You need to wear what he tells you to wear. Say what the man tells you to say, because he's been dreaming about this for forever. From an early age, he's talked to all his friends about this time. He's read the magazines about this time. He's talked to his dad about this time, and he is ready. So single people, that's your advice. I'm going to pray and we're done for the day. No, I I think all of us, again, 90% of folks do end up married. So I think the way that we learn to view our sexuality before marriage is is vitally important. We have have a choice to make because we live in a culture and society that that really sex is a a big deal. It kind of runs rampant in our society in advertising and and music and film. It's coming from all angles. Now with social media being so big, man, the the sexual experience of a teenager in this day and age is far different than, than what I experienced and probably for most of the adults in here. The way that sex is talked about, the way that our society treats it, So we have a choice to make how much of those things we will believe, how much we will buy into, or we'll see what God says about it. The choice is yours. Today, I'm not here to to try to beat anybody up. Um, There are probably folks in here who, just like me growing up, you, you might be in a relationship with someone not married, and you may be sexually active. Today, God wants to speak to you. You might be here and and your sexual experience in your life, it's crushing you right now. You're, you're one breath away, one step away from being crushed. You don't know what to do because of the way that our culture and what people have told you and you're feeling crushed by that right now. God wants to speak to you today. Maybe you're pursuing holiness and you're pursuing God and today is gonna be an awesome topic for you as well. I think it'll help reinforce some things in your life. So let's look at what, what society says about sex. If you were to walk in to Starbucks, all my single folks, or to French Express Coffee, and you walked in and you saw one of your best friends, they said, hey, what did you do this weekend? I said, well, I went to the club and uh, actually met this girl, and one thing led to another, and we went back to her place, and, you know, the, the next morning I, I got up and left. What, what in our culture, if that were on a movie or if that were in your life, how would your friend respond in that moment? Maybe they would say, did you get her last name? Or 
Did you practice safe sex, right? I mean, I think our culture, it's okay in our culture now. That's, that's kind of a normal thing that happens. Or maybe it's this way. Maybe you've dated somebody for an extended period of time, and our culture would say, well, you need to, to drive the car before you buy it, so to speak. You guys should move in together, right? That's your next step. If you love each other, if you truly love each other, and you want to take your relationship to the next level, then you guys should move in with each other, right? And I, I don't know about you, but I have a brain. If two young adults move into, or older adults, middle-aged adults move in together, uh, the Bible tells us to abstain from even the appearance of evil. And I know what happens because I'm a dude and I've been with a girl before, so I know what happens. You can't live together without becoming in a sexual, physical relationship together. It's just not in the car. It's not going to happen. So that's what our culture, that's what our society, those are the kind of things that are normal to us now. We just have accepted those things. But I've got a few quick facts that I want to share about couples and people that cohabit together before marriage. So we're going to throw these up on the screen. Here's a few facts. Cohabiting couples are eight times more likely to separate in the first year than married couples. That's 80%. So our culture says, yeah, you need to try that on. You might say, well, that's good. At least they never got married. But here's the thing. God created us for this longing. I believe, I believe this is true of every person, that God created within us a longing to be connected to another individual that's a different relationship and a different connection than ever before. So you might see that first one and say, hey, but at least they didn't get married and divorced. Yeah, but, but what happens then with that sexual baggage that they carry on? Because here's the thing about our sexual experience is once you cross the line, once you've started down a path, when you go down that road, there's no turning back. Once it starts, it doesn't stop. So what happens to that that relationship? It doesn't last a year. You are eight times more likely. So, So then what happens to the next person that you date? And our culture says, hey, you guys love each other. You want the best for your relationship. You should move in together. You got to test drive the car before you buy it. Look at the second one. Cohabiting couples are two times as likely to experience infidelity than married couples. That's crazy. Two times as many. Thank you, sir. They're two times more likely. I don't know about you, but that sounds like you're setting yourself up for failure. The last one, this is specifically to women, but cohabiting women are 33% more likely to divorce than women who did not cohabit before marriage. 33%, you are a third more likely. So everything in our culture is pointing us to this one direction. It's become normal. So again, like I said, we, we need to to understand not only what our culture and the influences around us, but we need to to look at what God says because 
in Proverbs chapter 14. I think we have that verse, Proverbs 14. The writer there, a very smart man, it's a book of wisdom. He says, there's a path before each person that seems right. But it ends in death. He goes on, he says, laughter can conceal a heavy heart. But when the laughter ends, the grief remains. I don't know about you, but for me, when I became sexually active as a, as a young person, unmarried, there, there's a lot of grief that came along with that. I mean, who in here doesn't believe that sex is fun, right? I mean, it's fun. Can we just say that? Sex is fun. Can we say that in church? Yeah. So what we think in our heart is, is right, and we think this is fun. Our culture tells us, hey, this is what you need to do. Man, you don't, you don't even have to be a Christian. You, can, you don't have to search the Internet for more than 10 minutes to find that there's a path, the way that we view sexuality, that leads to destruction. It's crushing our culture right now. We live in a culture that so desperately needs to grasp and get a hold of what a healthy sexual relationship is like, healthy relationships in general. Because dating now, the way that it stands, dating has become, hey, I'm going to try you out for a little while. We'll hang out. We're kind of interested in each other. But in six months, you'll probably do something that kind of aggravates me, and then I'm going to break up with you. And then it's done. How many physical lines have been crossed? How many emotional lines have been crossed in that? Because again, the Bible talks about that, that God wants us to have that one relationship with one person. So what happens is when we start that journey with anyone, the path continues. We continue down that road. So maybe you did break up, but then what about the next person? Maybe you didn't feel grief or feel bad or feel regret about that particular situation with that person. But what about three boyfriends later? How do you feel about that experience? I don't even have to do research. I could probably just ask you in the room, have you ever had a sexual experience with someone that was not your spouse that benefited you in some way, that it made your life better, that later in life at some point you did not feel the baggage, feel the weight, or feel the grief and regret of that. I know that's my story. Single people in the room, we, we desperately need to get a hold of this because what we do is we have set ourselves up as a culture and society for failure because we give pieces of ourselves away that they were never intended for us to give away to someone other than our spouse. Again, I, I share my story with you so that you know I, I've been there. I've, I've done that. I'm not speaking as some guy on a high horse that's telling you what you should and shouldn't do. I'm telling you from my heart and from my experience. So for me, continuing on my story, I got saved as a senior in high school, and I knew that the way that I viewed sex and dating, I knew it was screwed up. I knew that I, I didn't, I, I couldn't figure out in my mind how to rectify this idea of pursuing God with everything that I had and also pursuing a girl in a relationship. So for me, 
what I did is I, I, I put the candle out. I said, for a year at least, I'm not even interested in dating someone. God, I need to figure out who you are. I need to figure out who you've called me to be. I've got to set some foundations and some principles. I need to start over, God. I need to put the candle out. If I date someone, I've already crossed the boundaries. I know what's going to happen. So for a year, for me, that's, that, that was the answer for this. I've got to figure this out. And when I, when I took that year, I had someone, his name was Brian McDevitt. He was a youth pastor to me, and he discipled and mentored and coached me a lot in this. So he taught me a lot of what I'm going to share with you now, and that is what God has to say about sex. So if you've got your Bibles or if you're taking notes, we're going to look at Genesis in chapter 2 to start with, and then we're going to bounce into the New Testament as well. So in Genesis chapter 2, this is part of the creation story, right? So God has created everything. Adam is standing there. He's naming all the animals. He's having a really good time. And then Adam says this in verse 23 is where we're going to pick it up. Adam says, at last, the man exclaimed. Do you think that's where the Etta James song came from? Was it like, at last, or was it like, at last? That's what I think. When I read this, I hear Adam in Etta James' voice singing this. So he said, at last, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And then in verse 24, it says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Verse 25 says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, and a lot of translations says naked and alone, but they felt no shame. Now, what could be better than being naked and alone with your wife? Men, can I get an amen on that? I mean, that's a pretty good time, right? They were naked and alone. Like that, that was God's design. They felt no shame. Have you ever felt shame from your sexual past, your sexual experiences, when you've crossed those boundaries. We've talked about that, right? That, that's who I was. I was ashamed because, as I see in the book of Genesis, God designed this thing. That's what we need to know about sex is God is the one who designed and created it. I mean, right? He's the one who made man and woman, right? He gave us sexual organs and, and sexual parts, and this was something, to me, I was just thinking, God, God gave us hormones that are just designed, things that, that are meant inside of us just to enhance sex. That's pretty cool. I think God has an interest in sex. He's the one that designed and created it. I mean, when you are in a relationship with your husband or wife, sex is a great thing. Maybe next time you can think, God, wow, thank you. God, you're the one that created this experience. That's pretty incredible. So for me, I didn't know that. I didn't even think about that as a, as a teenager growing up. I thought what my brother or what Playboy had, had taught me to think about sex. But you need to know in here today that sex should be talked about in church. That's why we're doing this, because God created it. 
The Bible talks as much about sex and about money as it does anything else because God knew what the heck we were going to screw up with and that those were going to be two key areas for us. So God created sex. It's designed to be between a man and a woman. A lot of people, when they're dating, our culture says, well, you need to find out if you're sexually compatible. And what that really means is, you know, I need to find out if I'm sexually compatible with this person. What that really means is I've got some junk. I've got some baggage. I've got some ideas because I've looked at some things. I've read some things. I've heard some things. And I've got an expectation that you need to meet. So I've got to try you out before marriage. There's a path that seems right to a man, but it ends in destruction. Had you never had sexual experience, you want me to tell you, here's here's the key. Are you compatible with them? Are you a, a man and she a woman? Are you a woman and you a man? God created it so that you will be compatible. Our sexual innocence is a gift that God has given to us. It's a gift that we carry, just like this candle. It's pure. There's nothing wrong with it. God gives us this. He's designed it inside of us to be sexual beings, creatures. He gives us a longing to be in relationship with a spouse, a lifelong committed relationship with a partner. He creates that desire in in us. One, because of a command that he gave to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That's kind of part of it. The other part is God paints a beautiful picture in marriage of what his relationship, Christ, the relationship that Christ has with the church. So that's that's step one. If you're writing down notes and if you're a single person, I, I would just challenge you to do that. Write down, God made sex, and sex is good. That's step one. That's what God says about sex. That's what you need to know. Let's continue in 1 Thessalonians. This is another passage that was pretty influential to me as I was on this path to figuring out what what sex and how I could date somebody, how I could be a Christian when I knew what my past and my history had been and what everything in culture around me was saying In 1 Thessalonians, this is in the New Testament. We're going to look at chapter 4. So starting in verse 4, in 3 actually. Then each of you, you're messing with me here. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. In verse 4 it says, then each of you, will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Verse 5 says, Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins. Can I just say there are people who are, are predators when it comes to this, this idea of sexual intimacy and they lurk and prey on weaker people that are going through emotional times in their life maybe or 
I, I love that God addresses this when he's talking about sex because I, I think you start to hear a little bit of God's heart in that. It says, for the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you about before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. So again, we, what does that mean to live a holy life? Back to what I was saying earlier, I, I think we, we often ask, how far is too far, right? Like I shared from my experience, I, I thought that, man, as long as it wasn't a home run, I, I was good. There was nothing wrong with it. But what does it mean to, to be holy? Here, here's what asking where the line is, how far is too far. What you're wanting to know is if wrong is stepping foot off of this stage, then I, I want to walk right here because I'm not, I'm not off. How far is too far? This is the line. What holiness says is this is the wrong direction and holiness is that I pursue the opposite direction. The question isn't how far. That's, that's the wrong question. The question is what is God's will and, and holy living? What does that look like? It's a pursuit of God. It's, it's a turning away. So for my story in that when I became a Christian, I knew that I had all this sexual baggage. I had, I had started something before it was intended to be started. I had to repent. And that word repent, you see it a lot in the New Testament. The word repent means to change my mind, the way that I think about something, and change my direction change the way that I am going. So for me, that looked like taking a year to really find out, hey God, who am I in you? How could I even think about adding someone else to this equation? We're going to look at another passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians. And if you have been in church before, you've probably heard about the church in Corinth, right? These people were jacked up. We're going to pick up in chapter 6. But if you read a little bit before chapter 6, in chapter 5, there's a story of a guy who his dad passes away. He's in the church. So Paul is writing to address actions of people in the church in this city called Corinth. So he writes in chapter 5 that a guy's dad passed away, and this guy was concerned about hooking up with his stepmom. That's the climate that Paul was writing to. See, sexual craziness in culture, it's not a new thing. It's not like it just started happening in the last five years or 100 years or 200 years. Paul's writing to a first century church here, and you see that these people, they, they don't know how to conduct themselves in a holy way sexually. They, they didn't understand how to live this out. So this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to pick up in the second half of verse 13. And it says this, But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. So if you're writing notes, number two there is that your body is for the Lord. It's not even for you. So God made sex, and it's good. God gave us that, those desires, but our body, 
is not our own. So while God gives us a gift, it's not even our gift to experience or to carry, rather to be given away. Verse 14 says, And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. I think that's really cool that that Paul put that in that because I think for me, man, this is heavy. Like how, how in the world can I do this? That's how I felt as a 17-year-old walking out of this lifestyle that I had lived in. How could I do this? This is impossible. I love that, that Paul inserts that right there saying, just in case you've forgotten who Jesus is, he's the one that was raised from the dead. And he's going to raise your body. It's not your own. You don't live for you. 15 says, yep, that's where we were. 16 says, and don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scriptures say the two are united into one. That's Paul referencing back to what we just read in Genesis, right? So we we don't fully understand the weight of what that two joining as one is until you experience it. Married people or people in the room that have had sexual experience, they, they understand that. Do you know that our that the female body releases something in the hypothalamus called oxytocin? Do you know that only happens in three instances in a female's life? When they have sex, it's released. In childbirth, it's released. And in breastfeeding, it's released. It's a hormone that's released in a woman that literally is there for bonding. That's what that, in the brain, there are chemicals and things happening in a woman's body that cause her to latch onto or bond with someone. We talked about our last series how God is is a brilliant creator, right? God created our bodies for that to only happen in sex and with kids. So two are united as one. That's God's design for us, for two to be united as one. 17 says, but the person who is joined with the Lord is one spirit with him. I love this. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? We're just going to blast right over that. But man, that's, that's amazing. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't belong to you. Who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you. With a high price. That's Jesus. That's an insert. Amen right there. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Here's what you need to know about sex. And if you're, if you're writing, writing anything down, I would write this down. That God doesn't want something from you. God's not about putting a, a set of rules up in front of you. God doesn't, when it pertains to my sexuality, God doesn't want something from me. God wants something for me. 
He created the experience anyway. He designed our bodies to interact with each other sexually. He gave those hormones, just like I talked about for women. It's, it's apparent that God has an interest in our sexual experience. But, but so often what we do is we give in to, it's my body, I can do what I want with it. We give in to, well, I need to make sure that we're compatible. We give in to, it's just sex, everybody's doing it. And what we do is we, we start a journey that will forever affect the rest of our lives. So like I said earlier, the, the choice is yours to make. There are so many different types of people in the room. I won't even try to, to give specific application to where you're at. But to the single people, you, you have to choose. Are you going to listen to what our culture has said about sex? Or are you going to live as God has designed you to live? And for many of us, myself included, we, we started the fire too soon. And I want you to know if that's you today, that, that a God of immeasurable grace, a God whose mercies are new every morning, has the power and authority to restore that into you. And that if constant pursuit of God and his holiness, that I believe that God will bring that compatible life mate into your life. God, God did that for me and Karis, brought her into my life. I, I wasn't even looking for a relationship. I was pursuing God, going after him. And I'm very thankful that he did. But the choice is yours. Maybe for you today, that's you. You've, you've lit the match. And, and what you need to do today is you just need to blow it out. You need to stop and say, God, I'm changing my mind. I'm changing my direction. Because the big point here is that, that you need to take away today, and you can write this down, is that my gift of sexual innocence, my purity, what God has created in me is intended to meet its counterpart in a lifelong committed relationship. So we're going to stick that up on the screen. I, I just challenge you to write that down. My gift of sexual innocence is intended to meet its counterpart in a lifelong committed relationship. And when you do, oh my gosh, it's such an honor to be able to bring that gift to your spouse and say, hey, this, this is what I bring to you. This and everything else that I am, all that I am and all that I have, I, I bring to you as we unite and become one. I brought baggage to the table. We had to work through that. Because like I said, it's once you start on a journey, it, it affects the rest of your life. So would you know that, that God is big enough to, to cover? He's not so much concerned with your past, but he's very 
concerned about your future right now? What step will you take today? Let me pray for you. God, in a room full of single people, married people, God, in a culture that says so many things about who we should be, what our sexual experience should be, how we should be. God, I ask that you would help us to walk in holiness. God, in pursuit of you. God, thank you for giving us an amazing gift in sex. Wow, we are thankful for that. A beautiful beautiful union that you've created. So God, would you just help each person here to know the next step they need to take? God, that you would give them the boldness and the faith to be obedient to you and what you are calling them to do right now. Jesus, you're a God who restores, who heals brokenness who can handle our baggage, God, you say to, that you'll take our baggage when we walk with you. So God, help each and every person in here to make that decision today. We love you, Jesus. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.